Welcome to the Thrive Church Weekly Podcast. We pray that you will be blessed and encouraged by this message today. Thanks for tuning in. Shahu, Shaha, Jesus. <laughs> oh, Jesus. Permission to be wild in this place. Holy Spirit, we, we, uh, we just say, do your thing. Holy Spirit, just, just take over. Holy Spirit, we make space. Holy Spirit, we make space. Holy Spirit, we make space. Holy Spirit, we make space for you today. From the beginning to the end. God, thank you that when you're giving, God, it's a, it's a difference. There's a difference between something being given and something being received. Thank you that you're giving. God, teach us to receive. Whoa. <laughs> Teach us to receive. God, wherever we're at in our capacity to receive what you're freely giving right now, God, increase that capacity today. I pray increase that capacity today, God. Increase that capacity today, God. We invite you deeper into us, God. Even if it's uncomfortable, God. Even if it's challenging, Holy Spirit. <laughs> Oh, crucify us with love. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> Jesus, 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 Jesus. Jesus, 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 Jesus. Wow. Wow. Holy Spirit. Wow. Just. 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 Woo. Papa. <laughs> oh, I drink, I drink to that. Oh. oh, that's good chicken. Wow. <laughs> oh, Holy Spirit. All right. Well, uh, stay in that place. Uh, grab a seat if you'd like to. Stay standing if you'd like to. Lie on the floor if you'd like to. Um, and uh, let's begin the journey of today. Uh, thank you, worship team. That was just amazing. Um, I just want to thank the worship team for everything you've done in the conference so far. You guys are amazing. And, um, um, you know, when I say the worship team, I'm including the guys in the, in the holy box down the back as well. And, um, you know, it's true that God is out of the box, but it's also true that He is also in the box. Just because he's out of the box doesn't mean he's not in the box. And so he's in the box down the back. So we just love those guys down there. And, um, and thank you for being a hungry group of people who are expectant for God to do something powerful in your life, in your lives. This is an awesome bunch of people. I was just um, having a chat to, to Glenn, and this is true of Glenn and Deb. And I love you guys, and it's just an honor to get to know you. And it's an honor to be here with, um, and thanks for, 
for bringing us down together. And uh, it's awesome to have Renee here as well. And um, I was saying to Glenn, you know, I was trying to put my finger on what, what is it that I've been impressed with so much? And I'm just, um, there's so many things that I just really like about these guys. And I really like about you guys. And I was like, what, what is this? But what is it? How could I sort of put it into one thought? And I thought, well, it's kind of like this. Like, these guys are kind of like bamboo. And uh, what I mean by that is, you know, bamboo, it grows, but then it spreads underground in the unseen and it pops up somewhere else. And there is dream and there is talent and there is gifting and there is anointing and there is grace that, is, that you can see clearly on these two as individuals, but it's popping, it's traveling underground, it's traveling in the spirit, and, it's, and I see it popping up in all of you guys. And there's grace and there's anointing and there's gifting, and this, there's, it's, it's very amazing to see leaders who have such a heart to see the people around them go further than them. And there's such an element of team. There's such an element of family. You know, the speed of the kingdom is this. It's the speed of family. The kingdom travels not at the speed of light, not at the speed of sound, but at the speed of family. That is always the speed of the kingdom. And, and when you find that speed and you adjust your rhythm to the rhythm of heaven, stuff starts to happen. And that is what's happened in this place. Is, is there, there are other places, there are other communities, there are other um, ministries who are, who are going at different speeds and maybe even in some places at some times, and it's not our place to judge, but maybe outside of the rhythm of heaven, but it's pretty special and pretty amazing when you find a place that has found the rhythm of heaven, which is the speed of family. And so I just want to honor you for that and say, well, well done. Um, I want to encourage you on that. I want to encourage you that sometimes when it feels slow, Hey, just remember that God's not going at your pace. God's going at the together pace. I've sometimes, I've, I've lived often frustrated with like, oh, let's go faster. <laughs> Renee knows that. And, um, but God often reminds me, man, I'm not going at your pace. We're, we're going to travel at the speed of family. We're going to travel at the speed of family. And so I want to honor you for that. You are doing a, a great job. I want to, um, now I have, oh, have I got 50 minutes this morning? Oh, praise the Lord. <laughs> I thought I had half an hour for some reason. I was like, man, I'm going to get all, everything just, bam. I might even be able to pray for some people. This is amazing. Okay, cool. All right, I'm going to take my jacket off now. I'm all ready to go. I'm ready to roll. All right. So, um, you guys are awesome. I want to talk about something today, which is uh, something I'm really passionate about. Um, I want to, uh, this is something that would possibly take me weeks to share on. I'm kind of in the middle of writing a book about it. And, um, and there's, there's, there's way more in me than the time, even 50 minutes. Even with the, with the extra 20 minutes that I've discovered that I have right now. There's... there's there's, I can really only begin this journey in this session. And I believe that God is wanting to do stuff in some people's lives this morning that is going to end up in, in, a, in a, a radical awareness of freedom. I believe that God wants to judge you into freedom. And I want to talk about the judgment of God. I want to talk about the mercy of God. I want to talk about how His judgments are never separate from His mercy. And I want to talk about the judge. I want to talk about positioning yourself to allow the judgment of God to shape who you are. That's what I want to talk about. 
So please don't leave. Um, there will be no like lightning from heaven um, eliminating anyone uh, prematurely this morning. And uh, I want to talk, but I want to talk about the judgment of God tonight. I want to uh, just to get you ready for tonight. Tonight we're going to have an impartation time. Uh, that is, of course, all going to plan. Um, we're going to have an impartation time. I, I feel just to share a whole lot of uh, stories. We're going to talk about the miraculous. We're going to go after the miraculous. And I believe there's going to be an impartation to carry the miraculous. I'm going to tell some stories about some people who have uh, just moments where this impartation has taken place in different places of the planet, including New Zealand. And I believe that God is wanting to unearth something in this place. Um, I believe there's an impartation. I believe there's an unearthing. I believe there's a, there are spiritual gifts to be imparted tonight. And I believe that there are people here who are ready to receive those gifts. There'll be forerunners and there'll be ones that follow after. But the forerunners will be the ones who are prepared to steward the seed. I'm going to give you something from that, that I've stewarded that's become a tree in my life. It's not going to begin in your life possibly as a tree, but it's going to begin as a seed. And as, as you look after it, as you steward it, it will grow. And the point is that the knowledge of the glory of the Lord will cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. And so that's what we're going to go after tonight. It's going to be uh, story time, impartation time, Holy Spirit time. And it's going to be fun. Today is going to be judgment time. So um, here we go. <laughs> <laughs> All right, cool. Um, so I want to tell you a story. This is a story from Oriwa, which is, um, by the way, before I moved to Whangarei, I grew up in Auckland. Before I moved to Whangarei, I used to call Whangarei Wangarei, and I used to call Oriwa Oriwa. So I just want to let you know. Then I moved to Whangarei, where it's one-third Māori, and got rebuked quickly by the Lord and by one-third of the population. And um, learned to pronounce my words more correctly. Still learning, but uh, learned, you know, took the, took the sharp learning curve to um, um, embrace um, the reo. So, um, so I was in Oriwa, which is in the, in the north of Auckland. If, you were, if, you were, if I was talking to an Oriwian, um, the, uh, the older generation in Oriwa are like, no, we're not Auckland. We were swallowed by Auckland, but we refuse to ever be Auckland. Anyway, that's kind of an Auckland thing. But anyway, so I was in Oriwa at a friend's church, small church. About There's about 50 people there. And, um, and I, I, I shared a message, and uh, then the time ran out, which always happens to me. And um, I thought, well, quick, we've, you know, we've got to pray for some people. So I just shotgunned out a whole bunch of words of knowledge, like... Um, like in the way I was getting words of knowledge at that point was I just, I just closed my eyes and I imagined like a mannequin. And I'm giving you a key to, to healing words of knowledge right now on purpose so that you can take this away. I imagined a mannequin and I just thought, show me the red dots on the mannequin, Lord. Show me the red dots on the mannequin. So I, there's a whole bunch, like, a, like it's like a mannequin with measles. You know, just there's so many red dots. And so I just started calling out the red dots that I saw and someone with a knee, someone with, and then more details would come. And people started to get healed and uh, someone with six years of knee pain got healed and another person got healed in the shoulder and just different, um, you know, healings started to happen. And there's a difference sometimes between healings and miracles. There's a difference between God creating something that wasn't there and God restoring something that's already there. And um, so healings were happening and there were some good healed faces. I love the healed face. You know, I love the face of like, 
what did you just do to me? And it's always nothing. What Jesus did just do something to you. And he healed you. And, and uh, that's always shocking for people. Well, it's often shocking for people. It always shocks me when it's not shocking for people. But it's fun when it is. And um, someone's always shocked, either me or them, or both of us. And, um, and, then, uh, and then we completely ran out of time. The building was shutting down. And so I said, okay, if you still need a miracle, put your hand up. So a whole bunch of hands went up. If you're sitting next to one of these people, put your hand on their shoulder. Hand on the shoulder. People put their hands on the shoulder. And I said, repeat this prayer after me real quick. In the name of Jesus, be healed. In the name of Jesus, be healed. And that was about as fast as it was. And then I hear this. And it was about that loud without a microphone, which is loud, right? And uh, so 50 people in the room and it's an echoey room. Everybody turns around and is looking at this guy. He's in the back corner. And I thought, well, this is a bit um, awkward to just ignore, you know, like we probably need to see what's going on here. So I just said, hey, what, mate, what happened to you? And he just uh, wiped his tears away and he said, he said, um, well, I, uh, uh, Pastor, I had, and he's, uh, I'm trying to do a South African accent, but it's sounding Indian, sorry. Um, I, I, <laughs> I'm just going to give up on that. And, <laughs> and, um, and he said, he said I, I had, I had, I've had no, four years ago, my eardrum was surgically removed. I have had no hearing in my ear. And when you prayed, all of my hearing, just something happened in my ear, all of my hearing's just come back. And so we tested it out. He's like, I can I closed my ear that could hear, and I can hear perfectly out of this ear. It's exactly the same as the other ear. It's so uh, God is. I mean, the only conclusion is that God's recreated the eardrum. It's a miracle. It's a creative miracle. That's just something wasn't there and is now there. And um, and then I had this prophetic word for him. And as I saw Jesus walking into a boxing ring, he walked into the boxing ring and he started ringing a bell and he said, the fight's over. So I told him that word in front of everyone. I said, Jesus is walking into your life right now. There's been a fight in your life and the healing is not the fight that you fought, but it's a sign of the fight that you fought. And Jesus is ringing the bell right now and he's saying, the fight is over. And then I'm, and then, that was that. And then I went to move on to um, prophesy over someone else. And as I'm like going like that, like, like, you know, my attention is going like that. As I'm about there from glory to glory, as I'm in the two, I, I, you, everybody, not just me, here's this bring, bring, which is like um, my attempt at a text message sound. <clears throat> and, um, and then no one knows everyone's looking at him again. Uh, sorry, he doesn't know everyone's looking at him again. So he picks up his phone to check his text message, wipes his tears away again. He's snotting, you know, there's snot bombing knockers. He's like really, um, you know, he's really, lose, he's really losing it. And um, he, he opens his text message and he reads it. And his, he went from, to, ah, just, he just, he just, he just, if he had lost it before, he completely lost it now. And it was just, okay, he's just, that's that. Let's just move on. So we moved on and, uh, and, and, and he lost it at the back and it was amazing. And then he came up to me at the end about half an hour later, still sobbing, still bombing knockers. <laughs> and he said, um, he goes, um, Matt, I need to tell you what happened. I don't know what I've done to deserve this. I don't know what I've done to... Um, to 
to to get God to do this for me, I feel uh, it feels awkward. I don't deserve any of this. But he said, um, he said, I need to show you the text message. And I need to, I need to tell you what happened. Four years ago, my family and I we moved. Um, I, I'm a, I'm a, my mum and dad and my siblings. We moved from South Africa to New Zealand. And um, the week we arrived in New Zealand, my father, who is an angry man, he um, he went to beat my mum up, and I stood in the gap, and I defended my mum, and he um, punched me in the side of the head and actually damaged my eardrum so bad that it needed to be surgically removed. Then he said, "I'm over my fam- I'm over this family. I'm, you're never going to see me again. You'll never hear from me again." And the, and my dad left, and we haven't heard from him for four years. We haven't known if he was dead or alive. We haven't known his phone number. No one's seen him. No one's. We just zero contact for four years. We've been, I've been worried. I've been working. He said I've been working four jobs, and I'm at high school. Just try. I'm bring, I'm the one bringing in the money, so we don't have to move back to South Africa because Dad just abandoned us. And he said, "I want to show you the text message." And he shows me the text message, and it's this from an unknown, unrecognized number. Miss you, son, thinking of you, love you, your dad. And then he burst into tears as he showed me the text message. And he started saying, Matt, I don't know, I, I, I'm not a Christian. This is my first time in church since leaving South Africa. I haven't been walking with God. I don't deserve this. What have I done to deserve this? Why has God done this to me? And here's what happened. He had judged himself as unworthy. He had judged himself as not enough. He had judged himself as someone who wasn't worthy of the love of God, but God's judgment of him was different. And in that moment, the judgment of God was reshaping who he saw himself to be from within himself. The judgment of God actually in that moment came. That man at that point of his life was in that moment judged by God. And the judgment of God renovated him, reshaped him, and restored who he was to him. I love the judgment of God. I love not just the judgment of God. I love people receiving the judgment of God. It's one thing for the judgment of God to be given. And I'm going to talk about the the judgment of God being given. But it's another thing to receive the judgment of God and to be one who walks with the judgment of God, judging the world with the judgment of God. It's a privilege to be someone that expresses the judgment of God to the world. And in that moment, I had the honour of being one of the ones that expressed the judgment of God to that guy through the Holy Spirit. And he was judged thoroughly. Full stop, exclamation mark. You know, God is always better than you think He is. God will always be better than you think He is. It doesn't matter how good you think He is, He will always be better. God is eternally good, which means that for the rest of eternity, that statement will always be true. So if you go to sleep in heaven, I don't know if you do sleep in heaven, but if you do sleep in heaven, which I like sleep, so I imagine that we will sleep in heaven. If you do sleep in heaven and you wake up in the, and there is a morning in heaven and you wake up in that morning, When you look at God in a billion years' time and you behold His glory, you behold His face again for the one billionth time, that you will be utterly astonished on that day. In a billion years' time, you'll be able to say, man, you know what? I thought you couldn't get any better than I saw you yesterday, but I am astonished again. You are still better than I thought you were yesterday. You have blown my conclusion of you again. 
And that will be true in 1 billion, 2 billion, 3 billion, 4 billion, 5 billion, forever, for all of eternity, that statement will be true. God, God, God's goodness can never be exhausted. You can never reach the bottom of it. You can never reach the end of it. You can never, it, it, doesn't, it doesn't have any limits. It is a limitless goodness. Ho, ho, ho. <laughs> That's good. That's good chicken. You know, and, and this is also true. God is good. You, you, not just the person next to you, you were created in the image of God. And you did not create yourself in the image of God. You were, you were created by God in His image. And that is, my friend, not your fault. You didn't have to do anything to deserve that. You didn't have to do anything to prepare yourself for that. You were just simply thought of by God and created by God in His image. Before you could do anything to deserve that, He did that for you. You were created in His image. Therefore, this statement is true. You are better than you think you are. And you always will be. You will always be better than you. In a billion years' time, when you wake up in heaven and you see the glory of God in the glory of His face, something will be unlocked in you and you'll, you will come to the conclusion freshly again for the one billionth, two billionth, three billionth time that, oh my gosh, God, because you are so good, it's unlocked something on the inside of me, of my identity to realize, man, I've even, I am even better than I was yesterday. And that, my friend, is not a prideful statement or a prideful thought because your goodness is not because of your good work. Your goodness is not because you are not good because you have made yourself good. Your goodness is not based on your own work or your own effort or your own self-righteousness. Your goodness is because of God's capacity and God's ability to create you in His goodness. And you receiving that goodness is your way of saying, God, you did a good job. You receiving that goodness, you receiving that opinion, you receiving that judgment is your way of honouring God's creation and honouring what God thought of when He created you. It's one of your primary responsibilities as a son or daughter of God is to accept what the Father says about you. <laughs> wow, it's not your fault. I just want to say it's not your fault. It's not your fault. You are good and it's not your fault. You're like, I'm not good. No, you are. Well, you don't know what I've done. No, I don't. God does and He still says you're good. You are good. Full stop. There's no comma there. There's just a full stop. There's just a full stop. You've been judged. Sorry, too late. Colossians 3 verse 3, th Colossians 3 verse 3, and it was 30 minutes and 33 seconds when I said that, by the way, just so you know. Colossians 3 verse 3, <laughs> that was cool. I like those little encouragements from the Lord. Colossians 3 verse 3 says this, For you died. Oh, Jesus. It's good to be dead. You can't resurrect unless you first die. Before, before every resurrection, there's always a crucifixion. I love resurrection life. 
Sometimes crucifixion life is not as fun, but resurrection life makes it all worth it. For you died and your life is hidden with Christ, with Christ in God. When Christ who is our life appears or manifests or is revealed or is seen, then you also will appear or be seen or be revealed with Him in glory. (laughs) For you died. Your old life, your old self-life, your old self-judgment of who you saw yourself to be outside of God. Your own opinion of yourself based on your own life and your own makings and your own doings and your own rights and your own wrongs and your own successes and your own failures. That you, that you, that you, uh, that, that, that sense of identity, that, that worldview, that perspective on life that has been formed from your external circumstances and from what you have succeeded in and what you have failed and from your failures and from your... Um, Victories, however many failures, and most people have had more failures than victories. (laughs) That you, that alone you, that left to themselves you, that you that sits on the throne and makes your own decisions for yourself you. That you that's leading yourself, that you that's guiding yourself, that you that's left up to your own opinion about yourself, that you is dead. That you died. It didn't just die. It didn't just fall dead one day miraculously. That you was taken to a cross in Christ and nailed to the cross and killed and murdered and crucified. God killed that you. When you said yes to Jesus, that you, you surrendered to Him and that you died. You do not have the right to speak to the dead. (laughs) You can speak to the living but you don't have the right to speak to the dead. That's like a witchcraft. I recommend don't speak to the dead, but tune your ear into the living. And your life, so you died, and now your life. So you died, but you're alive. You're alive in a new way. Your life is hidden with Christ in God. In other words, God never lost sight of who you are. You might have come up with your own opinion, your own judgment, your own conclusion about who you are based on what you've done and what you haven't done. And you might have come up with a completely, you know, skewered and um, messed up opinion of yourself that has shaped your life in a way that God has not intended for your life to be shaped. But no matter how far you've gone down that rabbit trail, no matter how um, skewed your mind has become, no matter how uh, often you beat yourself up from the inside out, God never once throws a punch. God never once beats you up and God never once lost sight of who you were. When it says you have been hidden, it it really, the, the essence of that word is you have been kept safe. You have been guarded. You have been secured. You have been held tight. You have not been let go of. The true you was, was securely, um, and, and preciously protected by the Father from the beginning until the end. He never, he never and will never and has never lost sight of who you are. You have been kept hidden. You have been kept. You have been guarded by the Father as His most prized, precious possession in Him with Christ. One of the biggest battles, and this is what happened to my friend in Ottawa. 
One of the greatest battles of our time is the battle for identity. And for us to truly discover our identity, we have to surrender our own opinion of ourselves and actually surrender to God's opinion of us. We have to realise that when we got saved and when we said yes to Jesus, we actually surrendered our right to have an opinion of ourselves that's other than His. We surrendered our right to speak to ourselves in a way that's other than the way He speaks to us. We surrendered our right to, to entertain thoughts in our minds about ourselves that aren't as in His mind about us. That's part of what it means to follow Jesus. And as we lay down that right, and as we lay down that judgment seat, and as we really hop off that judgment seat and do that, what happens is that positions us to actually find ourselves freshly in Him. I have found that before you can take a hold of something new, often you first have to let go of something old. It's really hard to take hold of the new when you're still holding on to the old. The first thing is let go of the old. And the in-between glory to glory, the two part is the scary part. Because <laughs> you have to go, let go, and then, oh, what now? When I let go, is, is He going to, is He going to like trick me? Is, is this going to work out? Is, is my hand going to slip out of His hand? Am I going to be able to hold on to His hand? Am I, is my grip going to be tight enough? Is my reach going to be long enough? And that's the mindset that you get when you've been living over here for so long. But here's the truth. Over here, that all relied on your strength to hold on. Over here, it's all relying on His strength to grab on. It doesn't matter how strong you are to hold His hand. The point is, His hand is strong enough to grip your hand when your hand is not strong enough to grip His. <laughs> Shabarabaka. Your life is hidden with Christ. You know, like if you go to a supermarket, and uh, yeah, I'm not saying that I necessarily do this, but let's say you go to the supermarket and you want to buy like a really nice bottle of wine. You know, you don't go to the cucumber section. The, the nice wine is in the supermarket next to the other nice wine. And when you go to the wine section of the supermarket, the nice wine is not on the bottom shelf with the bottom shelf wine. The nice wine is positioned with the other nice wine bottles. And often in the supermarket, you know, well, at least the supermarkets I've been to when I've walked through the wine section, um, I, I've noticed that the, that the really nice wines are in the locked case. Like there's a little box. Maybe it's only in Whangarei. I don't know. Maybe you don't need locked cases down here. But... Um, <laughs> Uh, you know, they're, they're, in the, they're in the locked case. And, you know, and I sometimes look at those bottles of wine thinking, oh, you know, interesting that they're in a locked case. And, uh, and here's the thing, like you're not in the cucumber section of God. You haven't been hidden with God, hidden in God with the cucumbers. You've been hidden with God. You've been hidden in God with Christ. In other words, the, stand, the, 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 the type of, the type of you that you are is the same type of Jesus that Jesus is. You're positioned with the beloved sons and daughters. You're not positioned with the servants. You're not positioned with the slaves. You're not positioned with the angels. You're not, with all the, you're not in that section of the God supermarket. You're in the section of sons and daughters, just like Jesus, right next to Jesus. Your seat at the Father's table is not down at the servant's end. Your seat at the table is right next to, you're not hidden in Christ, in other words, you're not hiding from God in Christ, which I've heard people preach this verse like that. 
When God, when the Father sees you, He sees you. He sees you. He doesn't see Jesus' face. He sees you next to Jesus. He seated you next to Jesus. Your seat is next to Jesus' seat. He sees you in all of your goodness and in all of your failures. He sees everything, but He judges you with the same judgment that He's always judged you with, worthy of His love. And when Christ, who is our life, appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory. In other words, when you see Jesus, you see you. When you see the way that Jesus is with the Father, you see the type of relationship that is available for you to have with the Father. When you see the way that the Father relates to Jesus as a son, you can guarantee that's the way the Father relates to you or longs to relate to you as a father to his child. Sometimes we don't know how to be a son of God or how to be a daughter of God, how to be a child of God. How do I be as a child of God? How do I act before the Father? How, how, what am I allowed to do and not allowed to do? What's right and what's wrong? What's proper? What's the way to be a child of God? The answer to that question is when Christ who is your life appears. In other words, Jesus Christ came to the earth, lived a human life. I love the Philippians verse that you pulled out, Deb. He lived a human life. He didn't, he didn't lay a hold of His divine rights as God, but He lived a full human life to show you and to show me what is available to you and what you are invited into in terms of your relationship as a child of God with God. When He prayed, He said, Our Father, not my Father, not your Father, our Father. In other words, the same way that He's my Father, He's your Father. The same way you see me walk with Him, guys, I'm not the special one that walks with God in a special way that no one else can. I'm walking with God in this way on earth as a human in the flesh to show you the way that you are designed to walk with the Father. This is all for you. This is not all for me. This is all for you. And when Christ who is our life appears, you too will appear with Him in glory. Ah, I love that. 2 Corinthians 4, 6. I mean, 2 Corinthians, just read all of it. It's just all good. But 2 Corinthians 4, 6 says this. It is the God who commanded light to shine out of darkness, who has shone in our hearts. And this is what I pray for you today. Who has shone in our hearts to give you the light of the knowledge. Or the knowledge just means the experience. The light of the experiential knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Where do you see the glory of God? You see the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Light shines from Jesus' face. When you see Jesus' face, when you see the example that Jesus says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. When you see Him in the flesh, when you see Jesus, and this is what's so important about the life of Jesus and the crucifixion and the resurrection and the ascension, when you see the face of Jesus, you see the glory of the Father. How God was in Christ reconciling the world to Himself. God was in Christ. When you see His face, you see the Father's nature. Matthew 16, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. When you see the Father, In the Father, you see the Son. When you see the Son, in the Son, you see the Father. (laughs) We see the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. That word glory in Greek is the word doxa. 
It means brightness or splendor. But actually the primary meaning of it is judgment or opinion. You can look that up. Doxa, the first thing that comes up in the Strong's um, Dictionary, the second thing is brightness or splendor. The first thing is opinion or judgment. So I've heard some theologians say this, that the, when, it, when um, you know, like in Colossians 3, where it talks about you will appear with him in glory, it's talking about you will appear with him in the light and splendor of his good judgment towards you, of his good opinion towards you. Where do you see God's opinion towards you? Where do you see God's judgment of you? You see God's bright, shining judgment of who you are, his good opinion of who you are. You see His good opinion of who you are in the face of Jesus Christ. And where do you see that most clearly? Where is, where is Jesus most lifted up? Where is Jesus most glorified? It's the weirdest place, but it's clear as day in Scripture. The, the place where you see Jesus shine in His glory the brightest is on a cross which looked like the ultimate weakness, but was ultimate weakness in dis- It was the ultimate, dis- <laughs> the ultimate strength in disguise as the ultimate weakness. It's the most beautiful and most ugly thing that's ever been seen on the planet. And what does the cross, what does the cross communicate to you and I about God's good opinion of us? It's this. By the way, God was in Christ reconciling the world to Himself. It wasn't, I just want to say this without unpacking it much. The Father the Son, and the Spirit were on the cross. The Father did not crucify the Son. You did. I did. Roman soldiers did. Pharisees did. Humanity did. We did. Whose idea was that? Well, we, we have to own that decision. Humanity decided, God knew it would happen, Humanity decided to crucify God. We did that. And in that, we see God's good opinion of us. And here it is. Here it is. I would rather die than live without you. The thought of doing eternity without you, not in the servant's quarters, not at the servant's end of the table, but the thought of doing eternity with you not right next to me, hidden, In God with Christ, the thought of you doing eternity, not right next to me, my son, my daughter, is so unbearable to me that I would rather die than have that as a a non-reality. If the value of something is determined by how much someone is willing to pay for the thing, which that is how you define value. If you want to find out how valuable something is, then you, you have to see how much someone is willing to pay for it. And however much someone is willing to pay for it, that is how valuable it is. That's just common sense. And if that is true, then we need to rethink our value 100%. If that is true, then then you and I in this room, we are all challenged to reconsider our value. Because God, who created the entire universe, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, decided that you, not just the person next to you, hear hear this as if I'm speaking directly to you and there's no one else in the room. God, the creator of the universe, looked at you, saw you, He is not blind. He sees everything about you. He sees your failings. He sees your tragedies, your triumphs and your trash all in the same picture. He sees everything. He sees the things that you don't even know about yourself. He sees everything, the light and the dark, everything. 
And He said, you are so valuable to me. You are so precious to me. You are so important to me that literally you are more important to me than my own life is to me. I would rather give my life than go without you. Not in your cleaned up, tidied up condition, but in your right now condition. I'm not afraid of your trash. You know, Wes talked about the prodigal son story yesterday. I love that story. I love the fact that he came from a famine and had come straight out of working in a pigsty, which according to a Jew was the picture of sin and impurity. And in a famine, you don't have showers. There's a shortage of water in a famine. And so you can guarantee he came up that dusty road covered in pig slop, which is the picture of the epitome of sin and unholiness and this picture of of a holy father, a holy God did not run until 10 meters away and say, quick, clean up, get holy, and then I'll embrace you. Holiness embraced unholiness until unholiness became holy. Holiness is not afraid of your unholiness. Holiness longs to get its hands on unholiness because as soon as holiness touches unholiness, it becomes holy. There's There's some theological problems at the moment around that by the way. God hates sin. But God has power to transform you and to strip you of your sin. (laughs) He has power to clean you where you can't clean yourself. In the cross, we see God's good, good opinion of us. In the cross, we see this, we see, you know, we go from, we go from uh, the curse of the garden is undone. The garden, this is a whole session itself. I'm going to try and do it in one minute. That's why I'm like pausing. How do I do this in one minute? But I'm going to try and do this in one minute. In the, in the garden, you know, there's a self-initiated separation. There is a decision for autonomy. There is a decision in the heart of Adam and Eve to go and do the thing that they were told just the one thing not to do. And in that decision, the reason there's, hey, don't do that tree in Hebrew, in the Hebrew culture and mindset represented a way of life. And the tree of the knowledge of good and evil was the way of life apart from God, the way of life where you could be autonomous, where you could be in charge of yourself, where you could be the one that makes up your decision of what's right and wrong. And you don't need God anymore because you can do it yourself. You can be your own boss, your own master, your own leader. You can lead yourself. And so Adam and Eve, they under a tree of life. They're under a tree of a covering of God. They're under a tree of relationship with God. They're in this perfect place of connection with God where God is their leader, God is their judge. His opinion is all that is in their mindset. They are shaped by that opinion. And they walk out and they take the fruit from another tree. They make a, they make a decision to step out from relationship with God into autonomy, into their own self-leadership. And in that place, they, their way of judgment uh, shifts and changes and they adopt a way of judgment, a way of seeing the world that is, is based in a framework of right and wrong. It's a tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now, the problem with that framework is, is this, is that in that framework, right deserves reward, wrong deserves punishment. And 
at the get-go, as soon as they ate that fruit, they realised they had done wrong and therefore in their own minds, they decided that they deserve punishment. Now, God is not sitting on that judgment seat. That's what I would call the plank. It's the Matthew 7 plank eye. Before you go to get a speck out of your brother's eye, make sure you don't have a plank in your own eye. It's plank eye. The way you judge others, the way you judge is the way that you will be judged. And that, and that way of judgment is not the way that God judges, but it's the way that fallen humanity judges. And in our fallen judgment and that fallen framework of judgment, we expect that that is the way that God will judge us. And so this is how the separation works, is that we separated from God, we walked away from God, we turned our back on God, and then we realised what we had done, and we realised we're guilty of turning our back on God, but because we had adopted a new framework of judgment where right is rewarded and wrong is punished, when we looked back at God and thought about going back to God, we were convinced that if we go back to God, He will punish us. We deserve and need and require punishment because we're in this framework now of right and wrong. And so then God comes and He's like, where are you guys? And they're like, we're naked. In other words, we've done wrong. We're in lack. We're in need. Who told you you're in need? Who told you you're wrong? Well, we did it. And then, okay, quickly give them a covering. Now, God didn't need the covering. God was used to the nakedness, but they needed a covering because their framework of life, their framework of justice, their framework of judgment, their framework, their worldview of God, their perspective of God, their perspective of the mercy of God, of the kindness of God, of the love of God, of the nature of God, and of the nature of themselves had completely shifted and changed as they ate that fruit, as they made that covenant to walk outside of God's perspective. And here's what happens at the cross. What happens at the cross is that we go from the, the seat that is under the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, which is the throne, and on that throne you always sit alone. We go from that seat and Jesus comes to that seat, is crucified under that tree. He is lifted up on that tree, which, which we call the cross. He's lifted up on the cross. He is crucified on that tree, on our judgment. We judged Him. We crucified Him. We crucified Him on, on that tree. And that was His way, and there's a whole lot to say about this, but that was His way of saying, okay, now I'm gonna rescue you from under this tree, from under this way of life, from this seat of self-judgment, of self-righteousness, of where you've, had to, you've been all on your own. And I am now, right now, from this faraway land, I am bringing you back home to the Father's house. And He comes and He takes us and He takes us back to a new seat. And I think it's Exodus 25 that talks about the mercy seat. What is God's throne? God's throne is not a right, wrong judgment seat. He does not sit and never has sat on that seat. He never, ever turned His back on you. Humanity has assumed that and that's the problem with sin. It changes the way you see things. Jesus had to die on a cross because we had a sin problem. The sin problem is the fact that it changes our perspective on the nature of God. And what Jesus did, and part of what Jesus did a lot of things, but part of what Jesus did when He died, when he died on the cross is He saved the nature of God in our own hearts so that we could see Him clearly again for who He truly is and no longer be afraid of coming back into His presence. And so He comes and He gets us and He takes us back and He sits us on a mercy seat. And, and the way He does that is He says, first of all, He says, are you willing to let go of this seat? Are you willing to surrender your judgment of yourself? Are you ready, ready to surrender your right, wrong paradigm? Are you ready to surrender where you feel like you deserve punishment? Where you feel like you deserve like, I'm not, where you feel like you're not worthy? Where those things that you've done that have made you feel unworthy and you've judged yourself as unworthy, are you ready to let that way of judgment go? 
Because if you're ready to let that go, I'm ready to take you home. And home is not like here. Home is mercy. When God judges, He judges from a mercy seat. He always has. Right from the beginning, He's always judged from a mercy seat. But to sit on that mercy seat, you never sit on that mercy seat alone. You always sit on the Father's knee. Over here, you're on your own. Over here, you're on the Father's knee. And when you're on the Father's knee, the Father starts to retrain you and He starts to reteach you about how to think about yourself, about how to relate to yourself, about how to relate to the world. And, and when you start slipping back into those old patterns of right and wrong, He reminds you, guys, it's not about right and wrong. That person doesn't deserve as much judgment as, and as much punishment as you think they do. They just need mercy. They just need love. And He starts to give you compassion. He starts to give you love. He starts to give you mercy for the world around you. And you start to understand that the judgment of God is different to our judgment. The judgment of God is always the extension of mercy. The judgment of God is always to restore, to reconcile, to rebuild. It is never to punish. It's never punitive. God's justice, God is a God of justice, but God's justice is always restorative. It's never punitive. It's always to restore and it's always to restore you. And when we, when we start praying for a move of God, when we start praying for revival, when we start praying for our cities, for our nations, when we start praying for the world, which we should all be doing. And, and I believe that we are all doing that because I just can sense that around you. What God often, if not always does, is He begins from the inside out. He begins by touching some things in our hearts. And one of the things that we need to see revival break out in our world is we need to be sitting on a mercy seat. We need to be sitting on a mercy seat. <clears throat> you know, I, I, um, I had an encounter with God and actually... Are you guys okay? Is this all right? <sighs> Tonight's going to be more stories and impartation. This morning's like more teaching and stuff. So just so you know, it's not always teaching. It's like it's going to go, they're going to get into some other stuff too, just so you know. But I, I had an encounter with God that completely, utterly undid me and changed my life in May 2015. And uh, my friend, and I'm going to share this encounter and then we're going to pray um, and I'm going to do it quickly. Um, and, uh, and my prayer is that uh, there's not going to be enough time to continue the process that I believe God wants to take individuals on. But what I want to do this morning is I just, want to, I just want to press the start button and prepare you for a journey that's ahead for you. And I want to ask you and encourage you to be someone that pursues this until that old mindset from the plank, from the, the, the seat that's under the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, from the echoes of that, that you, that, you, that you sit over here on mercy and let mercy reteach you how to see the world and how to see your life. One of the things that happened to me was my friend rings me up in, in May 2015. His name's Mike and he says, he says, bro, you know that maunga, which is mountain, out the, out the window? And... Um, and I look out my office window and I'm like, you mean the one, the old pass site that's just out the church window? Yeah, yeah, you know that one, bro. You know that one. Yeah, I know that one. I'm looking at it right now. Bro, bro, I, I, uh, I was praying this morning. I looked up on that manga, bro. And dude, there was like a, 
hearty angel up there, bro. And it was carrying this tefa tefa, which is like a, um, a tire ha with a flag on the end. And uh, it, it's, uh, it's got a whole story behind it. It was carrying this tefa tefa, and it was there. It told me it was there to steward a word. I could see it with my open eyes. And I was like, looking out the window. I can't see it, bro, but that's awesome, bro. That's awesome. He's like, yeah, I can't see it anymore, bro, but I saw it this morning. So I said, cool, what's the word? Because, you know, if heaven has come to our city to steward a word, heaven never works out of the blue. It never works on its own. It always works through you and I. It's always looking for human partnership. It's looking for the partnership of the church. And so we have a role to play in, in, in the stewardship of heaven's words in our environments. And so I said, what's the word? He said, oh, Bro, I forgot to ask. I said, I said, bro, you should have asked, man. And he's like, I know, I totally forgot to ask. I said, cool. Okay, well, what are you doing tomorrow morning? Like 6.30. And he's like, bro, maybe going up that par with you. I was like, sweet. All right, let's, let's, let's go up at uh, 6.30 tomorrow morning. Let's do it. So we met up at the par at the bottom of this mountain. And I uh, started walking up, and he was like, yeah, bro, it was pretty cool seeing that angel. I was like, yeah, it was pretty cool um, hearing about you seeing that angel. And, um, and we walk up the, up the mountain, and we're just catching up. And then we get to the top, to this old pass side, overlooks the city. And, um, and my friend who's, who's um, yeah, he's just awesome. He's just a hearty, moldy warrior and um, fellow artist friend of mine. And he walks up onto the mountain and he starts just doing this haka. Now, I'm not really like, I'm like a full Nati Pakiha, you know. I'm like, um, I'm, I'm useless at doing haka. So I just watched him and was celebrating that. And he was doing this haka and I was like, yeah, cool, man, cool, cool. And, um, and the atmosphere was pretty thick up there. So this is where he saw the angel. And I was like, well, it's getting pretty thick. I can start to really feel the presence. I can sort of, stuff is happening. And I'm standing out. He's doing this haka over there. And I'm looking out, it's about 7 o'clock in the morning now, and you can see the whole north end of the city, all the streets and traffic lights, and there's a school there, a big high school, and all the houses stretched all up the valley. And, and I'm, not, I'm not joking, this was with my open eyes. Every single light in the entire valley, from beginning to end, everything you could see, every single light turned on and turned off. The whole city lit up, and then came, and I was like, what? Did that? And I was trying to think, like, Man, I'm pretty sure I've lived in a house for the whole time I've been alive, and that's never even happened in my house. It's, I've got to talk to an electrician about this. What is, you know, I was, I was thinking, like, how, how does that happen? And um, then I was processing that, thinking about that. Presence started getting stronger. God started to speak to me about some certain things around that. And then um, as he was speaking to me, he said, I'm bringing light into my house. I'm bringing my glory into the house. You see the glory of God, the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. I'm about to show you my face, man. I'm about to shoot. There's no longer going to be a ceiling on the church. Instead, the ceiling is going to be a face. And your ceiling will be your capacity to see and behold and engage with my face, engage with my glory. And then I saw with, in my spirit, I saw a, a, a picture of the Father coming over this, um, opposed, this mountain that's on the other side of the valley. And He starts coming over and He's carrying something. He said, I've, I've got a gift for you. I'm going to lay it down for you. So I said to my friend, Mike, I see the Father coming in the Spirit, and I feel like He wants to lay a gift down for us, and we're to receive this gift, kind of like a, in a porphyry where they lay the widow down, and it's a gift, but it's a challenge. And I feel like it's a gift that's going to be a challenge. I feel like we need to prepare ourselves to, re to receive the gift, to receive the challenge of the Lord, of the Father. 
And he came and he came right up to me and I could see him right there. It was a super clear vision. He came up to me and me and Mike are on, on our knees kind of there. We're just, I got my arm around his shoulder. He's got his arm around mine. We're like, we're, and the presence is really thick. And, um, and God came down on his knee. The father came down on his knee and he put something on the grass in front of me, but he didn't take his hands away straight away. And I could see in his face, I could see that whatever he laid down was of utmost importance. It was precious. It was significant. It was special. It was, it was something that was prized to him. It was like, it was like Matt, you got to look after this one. You got to look after this one. That was the kind of look in his face. He was like, there was like, he had watery eyes. You know, like it was, he was like, I love this gift that I'm about to give you. And I was expecting it to be a feather or some kind of greenstone necklace or something like that. And he, I said, God, I'm ready to receive. So he took his hands away. And then I freaked out because I just could not receive what I saw there. It totally took me by surprise. What I saw was this brand new infant baby boy, like a brand new baby son. And I was like, God, he said, I just knew. He didn't say it. I just knew that this was his brand new baby boy. And I'm a parent. I've got three daughters. I know what it's like. When you've got your vulnerable, it's the most vulnerable thing in the world. You're a little baby with a floppy head and everything. You know, you're like, you don't want just any old person looking after your baby. You know, your brand new baby. And he said, I want you to look after my son. I want you to raise my son. I want you to raise my son, not for me. I want you to raise your son with me. I want you to raise my son with, with me. And I, I said, God, I, I can't do it. I'm not good enough. I'm not, I'm not worthy enough. I'm not. I'm not up to the job. I'm not up to the task. I can't do it. I'm not, I don't, God, you can't trust me with this job. I'm going to make a mistake with this job. And I don't want to make a mistake with your, with your precious son. Like, you can mess with anything, but don't mess with my children. You know, like, gee, I don't know. I just, I just can't do that. And he just looked at me and he said, Matt, I want you to look after my son. So I picked up the son. I surrendered to that, picked up the son, held this baby in my arms. The power of God started going through my body. I just got an impartation of something crazy, and uh, which, which, like I said, changed my life. He said to me, I've, I've put in you a word of sonship. I want you to steward the word until the word becomes flesh and dwells amongst you. And I said, uh, oh God, I... I didn't even know where to begin with this. And so I was just messed up. I was sitting up on the top of that mountain for a long time. And then I came down, my, uh, my friend and I, we walked down the mountain. And as we were walking down, we were pretty silent. I was just processing with the Lord. And I just said, God, I don't know how to do this. Like, where do I start? I, I don't want to mess this one up. This is too important. Where do I start with this? And he said something, and this is what has begun a huge transformation in me. And I pray it begins the same thing in you. He said this to me. The first thing you need to know is that my son has a name. The name of my son is important. My son has a name. I said, I know your son's name is Jesus. He said, yeah, that's my eldest son's name. But this son that I've trusted to you has a different name. I said, well, what's his name? He said, his name is Matt Lansdowne. You are my son, Matt. I will never leave you nor forsake you, but I've trusted you to you. 
I want you to stop talking to yourself the way you've been talking to yourself. I want you to treat yourself the way I would treat my baby boy. I, when you see yourself, I want you to see what I see. When you talk to yourself, I want you to talk in the way that I talk. I want you to love my son, Matt. I want you to love my son, Matt. You are not your own. You were bought with a price. I want you to stop abusing my child. And he rebuked me with the most radical love I've experienced in such a long time. He said, Matt, I want you have been abusing my son. I want you to stop abusing my son. I want you to start loving my son. You are not your own. You belong to me. Look after you. Look after you. And in that, here's what happened to me. I beheld the glory of God. I beheld the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. I beheld the good opinion that God has of me. And I saw something in the Father's eye that changed me. And I just want you to close your eyes right now. I'm going to pray for you and then we're going to quickly finish because I'm over time and I apologize. I want to pray for you and I want to pray that there's some of you, I'm going to ask you to stand up in a second, but there's some of you that I just believe you, there's, a, there's a, a decision that you could make today and this is the decision this morning and this will set you up for so much breakthrough. But this will set the, more importantly than that, this will set the Father up for so much joy. This is the Father's great delight for you to be one that would receive His love. There's some of you that there's a decision that, that I believe God is challenging you to make this morning. And this is the decision that you would leave your commitment to your old opinion of yourself behind this morning. Some of you don't even know what those opinions are. Some of you might not even be able to fully articulate you know, the way that you have seen yourself that might be lesser than the way that God sees you or the way that God judges you. That's okay. But what the decision this morning is this. Whatever those ways are where I've seen myself or judged myself or thought of myself in a way that's different to you, God, whether I know what they are now or whether I will know them in the future, God, what I want to do this morning is I'm going to lay down my commitment to that way. And I'm saying, God, I want to hold your hand and I want to ask you to lead me back to the mercy seat so that I can judge the world and I can judge myself and I can live in and under the judgment that is your judgment that's based from mercy. I want to start loving myself, not because I deserve it or anything like that, but because you love me, God. And who am I to see myself as anything different than the way you see me? I want to be able to look in the mirror and I want to be able to see what you see. And so much of revival begins right here. You can't give what you haven't first received. And we're called to be a love movement to the world. But before we're a love movement to the world, love has to move into us first. Love has to move into us first. I play a game with my daughter, Ari, sometimes. I used to play it all the time. And it was this, I would say, it began one day where I said, Ari, come and put your nose on my nose and look into my eyes. She came, put her nose on my nose, looked into my eyes. Just close your eyes right now. And as she looked into my eyes, I, I would ask this question. I would say, Ari, what do you see? And the first time I asked it, she had the big shocked look on her face and she said, Dad, oh, I'm in your eyes. I can see me. 
And the Father just wants to come to you right now, put His nose on your nose, put His eyes on your eyes. And He's looking at you and He's saying, would you just take the time to look into my eyes? Don't look in the bathroom mirror until you've looked in my eyes. Look in my eyes. What do you see? And it's so empowering. It's so freeing. It's so beautiful when you see yourself in the context of a loving Father's eyes. Where you're, you're, not, you're not the you that's alone all on your own. You are the you that is held in His eyes. You are the you that is secure in His heart. He has kept you safe. You have been hidden with Christ and God. And when Christ who is your life appears, you too will appear with Him in God's good opinion of you. And so right now, Father, I release your judgment over this room. I release the judgment of mercy and love over this room. I declare that you are judged worthy, not because of your good doing, but because God paid a price for you. I declare this is not my opinion. This is the opinion that is communicated through the cross of Christ. That you, I want you to hear this from the cross right now. I want you to hear this, this shouting at you from the face of Jesus. You are worthy because you have been made worthy by God. You are worthy. You are worth it. You are worth the blood of Jesus because He deemed you worthy of His own blood. You didn't do anything to deserve it. You didn't do anything to set yourself up for it. He decided it before the beginning of time and He never changed His mind. You are worthy. You are worthy. If you're one of those people right now in this space and there's a thick atmosphere right now of the, of the approval and, the, and the, the mercy of God, I believe that God wants people to meet mercy. If you have lived in, a, in an agreement with an opinion of yourself that you've made up about yourself based on anything that's other than what God has decided upon you. If you have lived under an opinion that's other than God's opinion of yourself and that has had power over you and that has shaped you and that has defined you over the years, then I believe that God wants to redefine you in His love. And I just simply want to ask you to do this. We're just going to do it super, super quick. Is if that's you, I just want to give you an opportunity to make a decision that heaven sees. I want to ask you just to stand up. And when you stand up, this is what you're saying. I'm leaving on my seat my commitment to the lie. And I'm embracing the truth. God, let the truth set me free. I am, I am severing my commitment to my own judgment. And I am saying, God, teach me to come under your judgment until all I see is what you see. 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 Father, thank you for judging every heart in this room. Thank you for judging every heart in this room in Jesus' name. I thank you that the judgment of heaven rests on the shoulders and hearts of people in this room. I thank you the judgment of you are worthy, the judgment of you are worth it, the judgment of you are loved, the judgment of <laughs> you have a future, you have a destiny, the judgment of I trust you, I believe in you, I'm for you, the judgment of I will never leave you nor forsake you, the judgment of you are, you are, you are beautiful. <laughs> the judgment of you are able, the judgment of you are prepared, you are equipped.
the judgment of you are enough. Some of you have felt like you're not enough, but God is saying you are enough. Not in your own self-sufficiency, but as you become sufficient in me. You are enough. You are enough. You are enough. You are, <laughs> you are enough. God, I just ask the angels right now to plant the seeds of joy in people's hearts as they come into alignment with this love and this mercy and this judgment of heaven, this judgment of the Father, that the judgment of the Father is the big arm of the Father wrapping around your shoulder saying, son, daughter, you are my beloved son, you are my beloved daughter, and I am well pleased in you. I am well pleased. I am well, I am proud of you and I am well pleased in you. I am well pleased in you. I pray, I pray that people will be glad wrapped in love right now. Anything that needs to die, God, I release the blood of Jesus over this room to kill every judgment that it stands in opposition to love that stands in opposition to the cross. I release the blood of Jesus right now to kill and to sever. I release peace over this room. I release deliverance over this room right now. I break every cord, every, as people who have, even in this room, struggle with suicide right now. I break that spirit of death right now. And I declare a living life over you in Jesus' name. I declare a living future over you in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name, suicide is just being broken over, broken in this room right now. I declare that this is what's going to break it too. Here's what I declare of you. If you've been feeling like that depression, that anxiety, and even that suicide right now, that hopelessness, here's, here's, what, here's what heaven wants you to know. Here's what the Father wants you to know. You are seen. You have been seen and you have been noticed. God sees you. God sees you. Whoa. Oh, Jesus. Oh. Face to face, God. Face to face. Eyeball to eyeball, God. Eyeball to eyeball. Thanks again for tuning in to the Thrive Church weekly podcast. Stay up to date with everything that is happening by following us on social media.